Hey everyone, welcome back to another Stride Coaching webinar. As always, my name is Evan, and today I am again joined by Steve Palladino. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, fan fantastic. Great day. Thank you. I am so excited to talk yet again about running and training and racing with power. We just had uh, this is being recorded in like the second week of December. So that usually means in Sacramento, California, in the United States, the California International Marathon has just happened. That's where my PR is. It's where my second fastest marathon PR uh, is as well. Um, it's a great course. It's a really fun course. And you just had a few athletes run. And today we're going to dive into a little bit of their training data the racing data. And we're going to talk about, you know, kind of their unique considerations because you've been working with both of these athletes for a while. And so I think that this type of webinar and this, uh, you know, structure really helps not only talk about your expertise with running, training, racing with power, but also any coach watching this, any athlete that has a coach that is watching this, knows working with individuals is one of those things where you just learn stuff over time. You know, if you give a certain target and stuff like that, that some athletes will fall in a certain way. And so I'm really excited to look at two kind of individual use cases. Both of them had great performances um, and there are tons of pieces of wisdom to pull out of both performances. So we'll pull up. Uh, initially, we're going to talk about one of your athletes, Nicole Lane, who's an Olympic trials qualifier. Uh, the other um, athlete is Nick Spector, who's also an Olympic trials qualifier. So it's a pretty elite bunch. Uh, and we're going to talk about Nicole's data first. Um, maybe we're going to start with, uh, you like to call it the 10,000 foot view, which I guess feels a little less high when we're here in Boulder at 5,000 feet already. But if you're at sea level in California, um, mm -hmm. it feels a little bit taller and stuff too. Um, but I would like to turn the floor over to you to go through Nicole's stuff and then we'll just uh, progressively talk through, um, you know, sort of the training load and, and race day and stuff like that. So, Steve, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, let me, uh, like you said, let me go over the, the training load uh, information uh, on Nicole and then, then, um, you know, Evan will, will, uh, you know, follow up with some questions on that. So, um, here we go. Um, basically I, I've got, this is WKO, um, and that's the, the analytic software I use for all my athletes. And this is, uh, a dashboard called the training load dashboard, uh, run. And, um, uh, any one of these charts I can expand. There's a whole a whole load of them uh, in the training load, pun intended. Um, I could expand on any one of them. So that's what I just did is is looking at the chronic training load. Uh, that's actually last six months. Let's switch that to uh, the 90 days leading up to CIM for Nicole. And uh, this is very similar to what you see in Power Center, where you know you have a uh, 40 day, uh, 42 day uh, average, which is essentially the chronic training load. Uh, and down here we have a TSB, which is very similar to RSB um, and negative below this zero line and positive here. So essentially just looking at this at a glance, it, the other thing I you note here is there's these little uh, blue dots here. 
those are all races. This is a CIM year. Uh, this was a uh, 5K um, you know, sharpening race. This is a 10K sharpening race. This was a 25K trail race. And uh, you notice, first of all, chronic training load, we just sort of gradually ramped over time and then sort of flattened out a little bit. And then uh, we, we uh, dropped down. Uh, it, it, it drops down when you start going into the positive on your, your uh, training stress balance or running stress balance. Once you start turning positive for a, a period of time, your chronic load starts to drop. So this is pretty typical in appearance. But one thing to note is note that that for all these other races, look at how how positive we got here. Uh, actually, if I if I hover over that, you can see up in the legend up here what the value was. So she got to a twenty plus twenty training stress balance um, on on CIM race day. All these other ones, look, this is a race where it's plus three, this was plus six, this is uh, plus uh, plus four. Those are all like B-race tapers. So the idea here, my idea, is we don't want to have this scenario where we're losing chronic training load this far out. So you, you come up for just a short breath, run the race, and then you try to get back uh, negative TSB and a nice uh, ramp rate. Um, I'm going to uh, hide this chart, look at one of these other charts here. Um, this one that's working on it right here. This is the ramp rate. And uh, zero is this lower horizontal dotted line, dashed line, and then seven is like a, a warning signal here. And you can see that we're keeping the chronic training load progressing at a very reasonable rate. We dropped down a little bit um, for a couple of races, and then uh, we're uh, negative um, ramp rate um, going into the race. And I think that's the ideal A race taper is when the ramp rate, that's the, the week over week progression in your chronic training load. The week over week, and and uh, Evan and I talked about this in in a uh, another webinar, another uh, stride uh, broadcast where we talked about training load and, and looking at training load. Anyway, I think that the ideal a race taper is that you're negative for anywhere from three to five days um, in the the ramp rate, and your TSB is in that ten to twenty range, uh, or even up to twenty five for some some uh, individuals. Now, one thing that people that are really in tune with, with uh, performance manager chart, chronic training load, chronic training load does incorporate TSS or RSS, where, and as you know, that RSS is built on relative intensity and duration. So it brings both of those, those uh, variables in. Um, but, the the um, chronic training load, even though it incorporates both relative intensity and duration, doesn't give you a a, a fine look at uh, the the intensity distribution. And so uh, that's one of the things I have here a chart where you can see that 
where this the blue line is uh, the chronic load that was greater than 95% of CP or, or FTP. And then here is the load that's, the red line is, is the load that's greater than, um, what was 103%, if I remember right. Yeah, greater than, greater than or equal to 103%. So you can see that we're ramping everything 95% and above. We're getting a gradual uh, chronic ramp. And then we, we started ramping and sharpening with some of these uh, uh, shorter races and some faster intervals thrown in to, to get a little bit of sharpness at the end. Um, and that, that chart helps to depict that. Um, this chart here, um, it gives you the daily TSS or RSS, if you will, um, uh, the daily as a percentage of the chronic training load at the time. And you'll notice here, and this is really important. It's important whether you're elite or not. All these, this, this horizontal dotted line, the lower one is 100% of, of CTL. And the next one is 125 and 150. Notice all of these runs down here that are less than 100%, those are all easy runs. They're, re, they're recovery runs. They're aerobic recovery runs. So they're easy intensity and they're generally, uh, you know, an hour or less or somewhere in that, that range. But most importantly, they're less than 100% of CTL. Very important. Then you see this these other band of, of, of uh, uh, blue bars that are hitting right around 125%. These are all workout days. They're all interval or tempo sessions, a little bit longer uh, duration. Uh, then the re easy recovery and certainly higher intensity. Uh, so those are workout days. And then you see these other ones, and they're all long runs. And that, that's where you're getting up around 200% of CTL for your long runs. Now, one thing to look here, this is CIM over here on the far right. Um, look at that one. That one is 265% uh, of Nicole's CTL at the time. So, uh, and all of these long ones are, are, you know, they're not quite that high, but they're, you know, they have to be higher in terms of preparing somebody for this particular uh, race in terms of the, the amount of TSS or RSS that will be expended here. So this is a good, uh, a good learning chart. Um, and then could I pop in really quick? Oh, just oh absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing that I feel like I've learned over time too, uh, is an understanding of what chronic training load is. So referring to it as CTL, um, chronic, I feel like when a lot of runners hear that they maybe think of like, Oh, I have a chronic injury or something like that. So they have a negative yeah, connotation, yeah, yeah. but the thing that really helped me and you totally just explained it right there too. Um, and the thing that helps me visualize it is that your chronic training load, like you mentioned, is the average training stress you've been able to do per day over the last six weeks or 42 days. And it's something that your body has been able to handle on an average over six weeks. So it's just something that you've 
been able to show that you can do. And using that as a reference point shows that you have a thing, you know, that you can you can generate a certain amount of stress each day and handle it, but you have to go above and stress in different ways like you like you explained with those bands between 100 to 125%. So you have to do more on those hard days to push that stimulus and then I really, really like that chart that you were just showing, um, you know, comparing, you know, CIM has 265% of your daily stress because it's an all out marathon, but it doesn't mean that you ignore that during training. You have to be able to build your tolerance for that type of training load to be able to, you know, run well from mile 20 to 26 or run well from like, you know, 30 to 42 K, um, be able to close out the, the last few miles of the marathon. Uh, very well. And so I think that this chart, but then talking about it, making sure that people understand that, you know, chronic training load isn't a bad thing. It just means it's, you know, a reference point for your body to be able to handle a certain amount of stress and then be able to key, you know, workouts and intensity and be able to read how that stress is impacting your training and how you can stay more consistent too. Yeah. I, I, let me, uh, I, that's a great point. I'm glad you, you stopped me there. Um, Think of chronic training load as that load because it's 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 at least six weeks. Actually, with because of exponentially weighted moving average, mm -hmm. it's actually closer to 12 weeks. But but consider it the load that the athlete has already adapted to. Right. In other words, there that's that's their what they're used to. So if you are if you are um, disturbing homeostasis, if you're adding stress to create an, a stimulus that the body's going to adapt to, you want it to be more than 100% of the CTL. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, uh, periodically, you know, you can't do long runs every day, but you you want to to really hit it, like you say, so you can be prepared to run such a long race. Now, uh if, if it's a half marathon you're preparing for, you don't necessarily have to have quite as long long runs. You still want to have them and 10K a little bit less. So, you know, for example, I my, my general preference is uh, for marathon, I'd like, you know, 32 kilometers, 20 miles or more in training for, for, for Nicole uh, 24 um, uh, was, was about what we were getting to. Um, a half marathon, maybe only 18 kilometers of training. Mm -hmm. and, and for 10K, maybe uh, maybe even uh, 25, uh, I said 18. Um, 18 miles, 30K. 18 miles, 30, yeah. 30K. And 10K, maybe only 25 kilometers, 15 miles is the Sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, you're, I'm, I'm so happy you, you stopped me on that because, yeah, all of the, this line right here, the 100% line, Everything below is allowing the body to recover, but we're still, you know, we're, we're 80, 80%, mm -hmm. 75 to 80 to even 90%. We're providing some aerobic stimulus, but it's enough to let the body to recover. Totally. Anything above that, that 100%, that's a, that's a positive stimulus for growing the CTL. And the, the CTL is what you've adapted to. So the more that grows, the, the, the more you're, uh, you're uh, adapted to this combined duration volume. For sure. One 
other question I have about this, and we were talking about this very briefly before we started recording, um, but the concept of not just looking at any one workout as uh, you know a standalone thing, right? So this chart shows yes. me too. We have these really big spikes, you know, at or above two hundred percent of your chronic training load or Nicole's chronic training load, and we either have a very easy day well below 100% followed by an off day or an off day with 0%, uh, you know, no running on that specific day. So could you talk maybe really quick to that point in the that buildup? There's maybe, you know, six or seven days where I see a really yeah. big spike and then very low and then off to make sure you recover. So maybe talk to the logic behind that really quick. Yeah. Um, well, what we, I mean, I've been working with Nicole since uh, the, the, the end of 2016. She's been running with Stride that long and I've been working with her. And one thing that we have, uh, we found early on and we have not strayed from is she gets a zero day every two weeks and we try to work that zero day in. So basically we see this, this, you know, block of training and here's a long run. That's a Sunday long run. And then a month she usually takes her zero day on a Monday. So that's a zero. And then the, another block, this is a Saturday long run and then an easy run on Sunday, then, then an off day on Monday. So yeah, she, for her, um, it is, uh, it's, it's just one of the things that we just program into her training is every two weeks is a zero day. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, you, you know, the, the, the harder you train, the harder you need to recover. And when I, and I've always used that, that phrase and, and it's not just recovery in terms of running load, but it's also sleep and nutrition, the, you know, the, all these various elements that go into recovery. So yes. Uh, adhering to this, uh, you know, these easy days. And then for her, you know, every two week, weeks, a zero day mm -hmm. um, uh, is important. Now, Nick, we'll see a little bit later. Nick is, is, uh, is, is much higher volume and uh, not many zero days. And the zero days that I gave him were after some, um, some hard races. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it's a little bit different. And it goes back to knowing the athlete, learning what the athlete uh, thrives with, and um, and trying to 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 stay in that happy that happy zone, the sweet spot of 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 uh, training load, and and recovery because it's a balance. Uh, if you're applying load, you have to balance that with recovery, so you you're not tipping into overload and injury and overtraining syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Are there any other charts on this dashboard you think would be relevant before taking a look at the race data from CIM for her marathon? Um, yeah, there, just briefly, but uh, while I'm on this chart, let me just make a one other point. Look at the, the dots down below. These are all races. So this right here is a 5K. This right here is a 10K. Um, this is the 25K trail race. So notice that that you know even though they're hard races, they're they're not adding a lot of load. So 
for an, an elite athlete with a fairly high chronic training load, they're able to absorb these, these race efforts um, a little bit easier than, say, if someone had a low chronic training load, a race might tip them up into the 150% range. Um, and that takes a little bit longer to recover from. So you have to consider this. If you're using racing in your build, you also have to think about how am I going to recover from that race and get back into it. So for elite runners, it that and we'll see this with Nick as well. Um, it's it's a little bit easier because they're 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 what they've adapted to their chronic training load allows them to fit these in without that big hit in terms of recovery time the next week. Um, so um, just back to her load stuff. Um, this is this is her monthly, this is three zones. And we can see she's very pyramidal in her training. This is this last December. It's an incomplete month and it's heavily weighted by that CIM data. But you can see that she's generally around 8% in this, this uh, zone three, a lot here, mainly because uh, you're when you're training for a marathon, you're doing a lot of marathon power tempo, deliberate practice. And so it, it loads up this, this middle zone here. And this is uh, zone one. So, um, uh, you know, people talk about polarized training and they talk about 80-20, some great concepts in there, but it, it varies from individual. It varies from the, the the planned race, et cetera, et cetera. What what is optimal for a given athlete? So uh, yeah, Evan, let's let's. Um, you want to go into the actual race now? Yeah, and um, I mentioned I've run this course twice, and I think uh, the California International Marathon is an interesting and enticing course for a lot of people. In the US, a lot of people call it a very fast course. It is true that it is a net downhill course. Um, it has, I believe it's about 100 meters of net elevation loss or something like 300 feet. Yes. Uh, you have a total, I think of about, you know, 330 meters or 1000 feet of loss and 700 feet um, of gain during it. So it is a course that I actually have. And I think this is actually a really good uh, illustration too, because you can see all the, the spikes uh, in, in the power data. My best race there, I you know was going for a specific time. It was 2017 and I was trying to uh, hit an Olympic trials qualifier and I ran 218.19. But looking at um, you know the power data the next year I ran it, uh, where I was just trying to go PR and I ended up running a lot slower than my PR there, I went out way too hard and didn't respect the hills on the course. And I think athletes' tolerance, like you, you, you talk about, it, it's all um, you know based on what you do in training and how evenly you can do stuff. But the first part of uh, you know the course, all the way through mile twenty, it is downhill, net downhill for sure. But there are plenty of uphills thrown in there, and so uh, patience and pacing and sticking to your targets is an absolutely necessary thing. Um, but I know. Uh, Nicole specifically trains right around Sacramento. Is that is that right? And she is. She, relatively she did. Familiar. No, she's she's in, she's in Arizona now. Okay. Um, and uh, um, so she 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 gets a little bit different uh, terrain, but she knows sure. she's done this before. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, 
But you're right. I mean, it, it, this chart here, this is her uh, race uh, file. And the white is actually um, elevation change. And it, as you said, it, you know, it's a net downhill, but there's there's some uphills in here. There's, you know, it's it's a rolling course. And as you said, you can be tricked into, uh, oh, wow, this feels so easy. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to forget my target and uh, let, let, because I've, this is my day. I'm going to go a little bit harder. Um, no, 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 no. Respect your target early on. Um, and, uh, and that way you carry it to the end. Um, so uh, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I was at the, the finish line on race day and I was, I had six people on my tracker, six different runners on my tracker watching, you know, their, their, their split times and their projected finish time. And Nicole was, you know, she was in the 240 group. So she was just hanging, hanging, hanging. And you can see here that, uh, you know, she, she started getting it done right in here. You look at that power ramp right in here compared to below uh, earlier on. So she was, she stayed conservative. She stayed too true to herself. And, uh, and, she was even, you know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, 20 miles, 32K, and I'm looking at, at I'm, oh, she's still on 240. I know I know, I projected for her that she was going to be somewhere between 37 and 39. And um, and I go, okay, well, I know she's got it in her. It's just a matter of she having a day where she's going to be able to ramp. And all of a sudden in these final kilometers, I'm looking at the tracker and I'm going, oh my goodness, she's she's like she's dropping below six minute pace near the end. And uh, you know, look here if you look at the legend up here. Here I'm going to expand this uh, or bring it up. Um, if you look in here, she starts getting getting it on right here with you know sub sub six minute pace or um, you know if I were to, if I were to switch over to uh, uh, metric. Um, you know, she's getting into, you know, sub 345 pace in here, uh, sub 340. So um, it was a, it was a, just a brilliantly executed race. And this is one thing with elite runners is uh, I, I, uh, they've got so much race experience. I trust their racing instincts. Plus they're more accustomed to racing in impacts and what the pack does, they have to do. Otherwise, they're gapped. Um, so um, I, I, uh, you know, I, I usually allow the elite runners a lot more leeway to, to determine things. Nevertheless, I still, I told Nicole, I says, look, 222 to 225 is uh, your likely uh, average power for this race with a top end of 228. And I like to give... Nicole, more conservative um, targets in the beginning because this is the type of race she really likes running. She likes getting in, getting comfortable, and then and then racing, really bringing that second half. Um, so I, I told her 222 to 225 is what I projected as the more conservative power estimates for this race. 
And with a top end of 228, she averaged 229. So uh, there, there was a lot of good with this race. And she ended up with a time of official time of 239.10 was her uh, official time in this race. So um, that was her that was her race. I don't know if you want to go into numbers more or or her training, uh, some specific training uh, efforts, et cetera. Sure. Um, you know, one initial question I have, uh, you know, some of the past athlete data that we've looked at on past webinars, we've, uh, you know, specifically taken a look at first half versus second half. And that's, you know, oh, yeah. sort of an arbitrary breakdown where, you know, it's half of a marathon and then half of the second marathon. For a course like this, it is a valuable insight into how the course changes and how an athlete is prepared to handle those changes. Because like we talked about, you know, the course is net downhill, but most of that comes in the first half. And the second half is more flat. And it depends if you're legs are conditioned for the muscular trauma that comes from the downhill and then the uphill that en enhance, you know, metabolic response to it. It depends on your fueling as well. And so those are all factors, but maybe talk about how she handled the first half versus the second half of the marathon. Well, I, I, I sort of spoke to that a little bit when I was showing the actual, uh, the, the power distribution and speed, et cetera, that prior graph. But this is a, this is a chart that I have uh, that, essentially takes takes the um, the entire run and splits it into two equal parts and then uh, you have second half versus the first half percentage change so her running effectiveness declined and you running effectiveness can decline with fatigue but you just mentioned it the first first half of the race is a little bit uh, more net down and then the second half is that rolling, so I would expect the running effectiveness, uh, again, the, the speed that you're getting from the power you're, you're producing, uh, to actually decline a little bit on this course. So this, I think, is course-specific and not so much fatigue. Um, her power, she had a 2% positive power split. Um, and it, you know, I've analyzed a lot of files, a lot of races, uh, PRs tend to happen in that plus or minus two percent um, power split. Now, you know, in 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 running in general, people talk about negative splitting and the the advantages of negative splitting. Um, but um, and a negative split is typically a positive power split. Negative split refers to your your speed or your time. So negative split, it refers to speed time. Positive split is what's happening with the power, um, plus or minus 2%. If you negative split too much, that means you probably left some, some uh, time on the course. Same thing, if you go out too hard and you have a big positive split, I'm talking about time again, um, time splits or, or speed splits. If you go out too hard and you fade too much, then you're going to have a big positive uh, speed split uh, and a, neg a big negative power split. You left time on the course. So the optimum that I found, many runners, many races, is plus or minus 2% um, power split. 
So you can have a runner that went out and, and faded a little bit, you know, 1.9%, uh, 1.5% uh, negative power split. I've seen PRs with that. Same thing with, with uh, you know, plus 2% like here. This is a, uh, this was a, a, a two minute PR for Nicole. And, um, and she did it with a, a, a plus 2%. Um, if it was plus 3% power split for her, I would say, Nicole, we, we still have more time to gain. Uh, at, with a two percent, yeah, maybe she could eke out, a, you know, that that ten seconds or eleven seconds and get under two thirty nine. But um, if she was closer to zero, you know, perfectly even. Uh, but yeah, this is a, an important thing. These other metrics down here I use for gauging uh, uh, relative fatigue. Um, in in usually. Ground contact time is a really good tell of fatigue because ground contact time will go up with fatigue. She actually, her ground co contact time actually cut down uh, in the second half of this race, which means she was she was booking in the second half. Um, she uh, this ratio here, power to ground co contact time, is one that I really like because with fatigue, power declines. With fatigue. Ground contact uh, increases. And when you put them two together, it sort of magnifies the effect. So um, here, this is a plus 4% power to ground contact time ratio. Um, and there is no fatigue here. I mean, yeah, she was, she, her legs were fatigued, but it wasn't exhibiting in a decline in her performance. She was, she was uh, you know, looking pretty good with these various metrics here. Yeah, one thing, um, if I could just uh, pop in really quick too about yeah. this. Uh, so your athletes don't typically look at a dashboard like this in WKO. Is that correct? Like you're typically doing some of this analysis over their workouts and their races and looking at stuff like this to pass on that information. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I will. I will. This particular view i usually don't look at it except for races sure I use and for just race analysis but but i will you know i'll copy paste this into fi their final surge in the mm -hmm. comment section in final surge when I, I i usually provide a, a very detailed race analysis in, in the comment section of the race and final surge and i use you know it's copy paste but um no they're they're not very few of my athletes have WKO. A few do, and they have the same charts, so they can look at it on their own, but uh, most don't have this. Um, one thing, I guess, just looking at this too, uh, if this chart and thinking about things and visualizing and breaking down, you know, maybe first half versus second half of a marathon and how do, you know, my metrics change um, and stuff. The, the one thing that I would probably say is uh, probably don't get too obsessed over any one number changing, because as we look at this, we can gain an understanding of the situation and what happened. So you're mentioning, you know, fatigue and stuff like that, but really looking at this, you can look at, you know, the previous, uh, you know, power chart and get a similar thing where we say, hey, she sped up. She increased her power. Her cadence, you know, was around about the exact same. She was, you know, spending less time on the ground per step. She just 
picked it up and stuff. And so looking at things like this, it's not necessarily as helpful to obsess over, you know, did my stride length change 2.1% versus 2.2%, but how do things change and what is the puzzle, you know, kind of shape shift like as you change the different metrics around too, is probably the one thing I'd leave people if they see a chart like this, that's kind of new and shiny is not to uh, maybe hyper obsess over any one specific thing, but look at the whole relationship as, as a whole. Exactly. And I'm going to tie this back to what we were talking about earlier on the macro. You know, uh, when you're looking at how a workout, one workout fit looks, it, you really want to see how it fits relative to what came before, what comes after, how all the, the global view, the pattern. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I agree with you 100% there is like, yeah, I this this one here, the power split is is the one that I really uh, sp spend a lot of time on. But it's the global view. What's what's the pattern that's being shown here? And exactly. and you can see it with this chart. Um, you can you can see it here. You're looking for patterns. Mm -hmm. Look, looking what the global the global. Uh, what what these various metrics are saying about the the uh, the effort in a global context? Um, maybe one last thing uh, as we look at Nicole before we move on to Nick's uh, one question I would have uh, is you said you gave her a range with a ceiling and you mentioned that all athletes are different. Some do really really well with uh, you know really tight ranges, really really close together. Say hey, I think you should run right about here. Uh, other athletes who say you know. You got to go with the pack and you got to just have that cap and that ceiling to make sure you don't blow up and sacrifice your race. Um, is there any workout or long run in general you found that gave you more confidence in giving her that projection on race day? So maybe a specific session or a string of one or two sessions that just, um, you know, by your eye test and, uh, you know, just looking at the data and being able to work with her, giving her uh, that sort of recommendation. How did you arrive on giving her uh, that range you gave her on race day? Well, the, I mean, the, the, the range that I gave her was, uh, was based on race power planning. It's the same thing as what the stride race planner does, but I do it, you know, manually with superpower calculator. Um, so I'm using her, her, um, her FTP or critical power. I'm, I'm looking at uh, her running effectiveness in a bunch of long runs. Um, I'm looking at a prior race performances on this course, which is, which is when, when it, once an athlete has had a performance on a particular course, then you could, you could really fine tune the, the uh, targets and knowing what the, running effectiveness was for that particular race. But let me go into, you know, I'll generally have a wide range or a narrow range. And what do I give the athlete? Well, Nicole is one that, um, you know, I know she likes to start conservatively and, and build. And um, so the targets I give her race power targets are, on the conservative side, so they're not, you know, she looks at it and she, I don't want her to freak out if I give her a, a you know, what I think hers is her max. I, I give her what I think is something that she can really do. Now, let's take what I just said. Let's 
apply it to training Nicole. That's the way she likes to race. So um, what I've been trying to do is get Nicole to stretch her long runs out a little bit, but also what I like to do is put that marathon power uh, tempo in and even backload it towards the back half of the long run. And she, uh, it's been, it's been uh, a lot of coaxing to get her to do that and get that. And she started doing it in this cycle. She had a number of, of them where she started doing the, the cut down at the end, the marathon power at the end. It supports the way she likes to race. So that's why you know I, I try to steer her to doing what she likes to race, what she's had success racing, is do the her training. Um, in terms of uh, intervals and such, um, she doesn't like doing a bunch of mile repeats. She likes to do workouts that cut down. So I had workouts where I had you know th three miles, two miles, one mile. Uh, increasing the the uh, you know sort of a ladder, a three mile, two mile, one mile, uh, increasing the intensity with each with with each one, and um, you know throwing in, getting getting the high mixing in the high intensity stuff. I had her do three miles at 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 like half marathon power, then a half half mile at at you know, above 10K, up to 5K effort, and then back to the three miles, and then back up to the half mile. So knowing how she likes to race, and this is part of learning the athlete over the last, whatever, five years, um, knowing how she likes to race and knowing what she does and doesn't like in training allows me to sort of fit what I want to what I want to get to have her achieve the, the best uh, race day performance. I try to, to meld those two. look at how she likes to race, try to get some of her long runs to, to reflect that, try to get some of the the interval and tempo workouts to reflect that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you know, again, echoing the one point we've talked about a couple of times, learning how the athlete responds to the training and then responds, uh, you know, maybe to those prescriptions for race day and stuff is extremely important instead of just, um, you know, plugging general numbers into a general calculator and saying, hey, I think, you know, we maybe uh, should target right around here uh, using that sort of informed decision about how, you know, you can prescribe stuff in the training and then how it reflects in the racing is incredibly important. And it looks like this is one of those three, two, one. That's a, that's, mile, one yeah. Mile. That's a three, two, one. And, um, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's another one I want to uh, just pop up here just, just for, uh, just for fun. Uh, let's go back just a little bit. Um, this one here, this is a long run where she, I, you know, she, this is one of the first times I got her to actually start doing tempo near the end. Mm -hmm. This run was in Flagstaff mm -hmm. with Molly Seidel. Who, if people don't know, is the Olympic bronze medalist in the Tokyo Olympics from the United States. Yeah. 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 So this is a, a, a good experience for her where she mm -hmm. got to run with her and then, I think they split off here because then Nicole did her um, her little. She said, "Molly, I don't want to drop you on my tempo segment. I know you're you're fresh off of coming back from Tokyo, but I don't want to embarrass you too bad." 
Well, I think it was a yeah, I was like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but no, I think uh, I was talking to Nicole about that, and, and she said that it was a bigger group. And Molly, at, at, at least one point, said, "Hey, we we we, this is not my thing. We got to cut it back a little bit. Let's let's keep this under control. Mm -hmm. Let's not get out of ourselves here." So anyway, just yeah. a couple little little blips there. Awesome. And then um, I'd like to ask one final question about Nicole's race, and then we can take a look at Nick's race as well, going through a mm -hmm. similar sort of flow. Um, after the marathon, uh, do you have a general process in terms of recommending, you know, how each individual athlete takes enough time to recover and make sure that they're, you know, ready to target a new training session? Maybe uh, for Nicole specifically, maybe you can speak to uh, you know, how you debrief uh, and decompress after the marathon and maybe what a next uh, goal is maybe for her training buildup. Well, um, uh, on the, uh, you know, in terms of, of post-marathon recovery, uh, my, my default to every athlete I coach, not just the elites, every athlete is, um, don't run until your legs are uh, not sore anymore. So, you know, whether that's, you know, three days, whether that's 10 days, I don't care. I, you know, I don't want uh, to risk injury. There's no sense in doing it. Um, we just had a 265% TSS uh, uh, percent of CTL day. Um, let That's a... Remember, <laughs> racing is is a, is a training dose as well. Uh, so no, I, I say zero, no running. Um, I, I you know get massage, um, chill, do do the stuff that you haven't been able to do in terms of uh, other stuff in your life. Um, uh, maybe once once you start feeling a little bit, but you still have a little soreness. You know, go for a little walk. Go, you know, get on the get on a stationary bike or a bike and go for, you know, a thirty minute just spin out the legs sort of thing or 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 swim. All of those uh, cross training activities, um, if if you're really itching to go, but no running. Then I usually will. I like getting into uh, every other day running, um, 20, 30 minutes every other day. And if there's no setbacks with that, then we could build off of that. But I like that every other day because it allows anything that, that I'm missing in terms of uh, injury avoidance and so forth, it allows that to, to sort of um, sort itself out in that day off in between. So I like every other day um, after that period of no running. The other thing during this time is a time to, hey, let's think about what, what's your next goal? What's your next target? Um, and I know Nicole wants to try to call, you know, make that 237 uh, qualifying time. So we got a couple of years to sort of uh, chip away at that. But she also really enjoys trail racing. So we're, she'll probably do a little of that. We'll phase that in and, and then get in some other fun things she likes. But um, I, I'm going to want her to get back towards those long runs, start reinforcing that the, the 
cut downs within the long runs because I think the more she does that, the more she can do what we saw on race day. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, so, and then one last thing, maybe for more context. Uh, so you mentioned a 2.37 uh, qualifying time. The USA track and field announced for the next uh, Olympic trials in the United States. There's an Olympic trial system to select the team that goes to the Olympics, but it's also a very big race for um, people who are maybe more in that sub-elite uh, category maybe like myself, uh, like Nick, like Nicole, uh, who are aiming to hit a certain time to qualify. And 237 is the qualifier for the women and being able to run, you know, 239.10 um, and then still have another, you know, two plus years to be able to go after um, a couple minutes. Uh, PR uh, is is a, is a great sort of goal um, as that next step, I, I, I do think, but for a little bit more context. Yep. Yep. Um, do you have any other points about Nicole's race before we move on to? Well, let, uh, not about a race, but I'm just going to throw one thing in that might be useful and it transitions us into Nick. Um, um, we had, we, we had dinner, Nick and Nicole and her family and I, all, we had dinner the night before CIM and Nick, uh, as we were driving, Nick goes, who, who, um, follows your instructions closer, Nicole or me? And I go, uh, I go, I think Nicole, but here's the deal. Um, I'm, I'm segueing into easy runs. Nicole, since I've been working with her, when I first started working with her, she'd always run her easy runs way too hard. I mean, she was doing, you know, 84, 85, 86% of her threshold power. Or, or critical power, and on an easy day, I'm going no, no, no. So we, it's always been, hey Nicole, let's let's stick around 80, and she's gotten what much better. So she's usually in that 79 to 82 percent range for her easy days. When she starts getting to 82s, I I start getting a little nervous and I start dropping her little note. But she's she's that's been a big improvement for. Her. We talked about. You know, how we change the long runs, how we do the tempos and progressions, et cetera. But, you know, the easy days are, are as important. 